been taking my time I feel like I'm out of my mind It feel like my life ain't mine I've been on the low, I've been taking my time I feel like I'm out of my mind It feel like my life ain't mine Hey everyone, this is Project Mayday. This is Brie and Zeph. And today we have Kelly Craig, who is an EMS captain at a uh, fire department here in California, and he has 14 years of experience in the field. So welcome, Kelly. Hi. Glad to be here. <laughs> All right. So starting out, we uh, want to know, how did you even get into the first responder career? Uh, it actually started out when I was in high school, senior in high school. Um, initially, I had aspirations to join the Navy and... Uh, in my senior year, I had been, I had, or my junior year, I'd heard about a program, the 49er ROP program, regional occupational program, uh, and they had a fire, uh, tech program. And I heard it's very paramilitary and was kind of get you in shape, kind of kick your butt a little bit. And I decided to sign up for it. And my first week in the class, I fell in love with fire and EMS and, that's where I really got started. And then actually my first day officially in the fire service, my first day in that class was my 18th birthday. So that was kind of cool. So I can literally say I've been a fireman since I was 18. And um, that's what kind of launched me into this. And then after the high school program, I kind of volunteered in my local department. And my passion for the for the job and the career just kind of grew from there. Awesome. So uh, let's go ahead and dive right into uh, the incident that we were uh, talking about prior to you coming on here. Um, you were involved in a, a near miss situation on a, a strike team or, or a uh, fire. It was actually an initial attack assignment. So uh, the River Fire in 2021 in uh, Colfax, California, um, is right outside my district. It's actually the where the initial start for the fire was is right outside our district boundary so i was the fifth due engine uh on the initial assignment i was the fifth due engine um when we came down as in the bear river campground so along a river canyon when we came down i pulled up uh got out and went to the initial ic of the incident incident commander of the incident uh and asked for an assignment um and he told me to take a road, uh, Spring Creek Road, I believe it was, um, and start doing structure protection. So my crew and I was with my engineer, uh, who at the time was 21. Um, and he's an extremely experienced engineer, for only being 21 <laughs> as well. Uh, really good fireman. Uh, and then I had our seasonal uh, with us as well. So it was three of us. Um, so we made our way up the road and coming in on the dirt road, going in we're in a type one a large you know cab over engine not necessarily designed for uh being out in the wilderness but came down the dirt road and got to the end where we had um the very end where it wide off driveway down to the right led to a, a residence a home i can see on my map there was a residence up to the left and it happened to be at the very tip of a spur ridge um where the origin of the fire was right down below us um, so the fire was working its way up the hill towards us, so mm -hmm. we were put on structure protection there. Uh, when we initially pulled up, um, I had good working fire right in front of our engine. Um, a normal tactic when we go on these kind of incidents is to turn the engine around and have it facing out. Because I had fire impinging on our engine very quickly, um, I decided as the engine captain to have my, my engineer park 
and our firemen got out and immediately started fighting fire. Um, while I kind of started assessing our situation, uh, pulling in to the driveway to our left, I had, this is kind of important for the story. I had a large metal carport and basically a junkyard next to us, which is very common in the hills of California. <laughs> um, lots of cars, uh, engine parts, trash, just anything and anything you can think of. Very, very close proximity to the engine, making our access and egress a little bit difficult. Um, and then down the hill, I went down to saw that there was a structure down there. It turned out to be just a, a trailer, someone's home, it was a trailer. Um, and I went and made sure that no one was home, nobody was home. Um, while my guy was working on fighting fire and my engineer was pumping and, and kind of doing things around the engine. Uh, so we got fire knocked down around our engine and then down to the right side of my engine, I had kind of a, a small field that had burned up already. It was about a 60 by 60 area of good black is what we call it, right? Uh, area that's already burned that can't burn again. And I made a mental note of, okay, if I need a TRA, a temporary refuge area, um, or an area to deploy our fire shelters for safety, if something goes wrong, that's, that's my spot. I made that mental note. Um, so I have my fireman take 200 feet of line down around the corner to the house below us. Cause we were right above the other house. And one of the Cal fire engines was at that house and they had fire coming up at that house. Actually part of the deck was on fire already. Mm. And a lot, large portion of the backyard, all very dry grass, middle of or beginning of August, all very dry grass and their crew was fully engaged. Uh, our stuff kind of settled down up top, so I started having my crew work down, left my engineer at the engine, and um, I had my fireman down at the end of our hose line working in the backyard. I actually went up to the engine captain there who was working on getting a chainsaw to cut the deck off the house because it was lighting on fire, grabbed their reel line, and started helping them fight fire on the deck. Um, after about 15, 20 minutes when they finally got a handle on it, um, a little bit of a handle on it. I realized that I was a little too engaged with them and need to go back to my engine, reassess some things. And I'd been working for a little while, so needed some water um, and to kind of reassess our situation because mm -hmm. I was a little too focused in. Um, left Brad and my fireman down with, with their engine company at the end of the hose line, went back up, got some water. Uh, and that's when I noticed a spot fire above us, kind of above where that junkyard was. Um, and I called out to my guys, Hey, I need help. I have a spot fire. I rolled out some hose, went up to the end of it. I had to come back down, charge it by myself. Cause my engineer wasn't, was down with Brad. Um, and started fighting the spot fire. And that's when all of a sudden conditions, you know, they always said conditions change like that. Mm -hmm. it, it actually got very hot. So smoky that I could barely see around us. Mm. Started coughing, couldn't breathe well, and I could not see either of my guys. Mm. Wow. Um, okay, went, so right now, I yeah, mean, you know, uh -oh. things are changing. Yep. So, and when you say very rapidly, like, what is a time frame on this? From when you were like, okay, we're you know we're fighting From this the fire. From the time too. I got back up to the engine after being down, yeah, with the Cal Fire crew, where I went back down to the mm -hmm. engine. Five minutes, mm, if that. Just like that. Um, it was that quick that I didn't have even time to really catch my breath from doing the work up at the spot fire. So I 
With that, when I was back in the engine, I very specifically remember feeling the wind shift. And it was a significant where enough wind shift that I, like I said, I felt it and I started screaming out to my crews, wind shift, wind shift. And they, they acknowledged they heard me, but I couldn't see them. Mm. Um, so I ran down, Ryan was okay at the spot fire. I ran down to Brad. Um, and at that point running down to him, I saw just a wall, literally a wall of flames running up the hill towards the backyard where Cal Fire was and where Brad was. Mm. And I told Brad, put a little bit of water on it, keep it cool, don't let it get to us that quickly. And I went back up to the engine and started calling in on the radio that, hey, we had a wind shift. Um, we're experiencing erratic fire behavior up here, telling the IC, telling our division at this point. Um, and I started hearing the radio traffic getting very chaotic. Yeah. Which in my mind means things are going south very quickly. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, um, not just for you. I not just for, for you. Yeah, not just for me. It was yeah, for a Cal Fire unit right next to you, so they're experiencing the same yeah, shit and condition. And I had um, another local government crew further down the road than us, um, I guess closer to the entrance point of the road because we were at the very tip of the road, um, start saying they had fire coming up on them. Mm -hmm. And they were much further, quite a few houses down from us. Um, and... I brought Brad back. I said, I told my guys to get back to the engine. Yeah. I brought us back to the engine because, again, I started not being able to see yeah. hotter. Wind was going crazy. Um, we started getting that original spot fire turned into two, three, four, five, six spot fires. Mm. Mm. Frequent spot fires across the line. Anyone who knows wildland fire knows that's, that's a big no -no. Yeah. watch out situation. Yep. Frequent spot fires over the top of us where we couldn't handle them. Oh. Um, and then the original fire that was next to my engine, we pulled up, flared up, and started working in. So in the middle of the two driveways was kind of an, a total island of fuel of just dried leaves, dried mm. pine needles, manzanita, a mm. um, lot of heavier, kind of moderate to heavy fuels um, that was starting to ignite. And I remember, too, Ryan kind of took a hose line and dove down the hill to work on it. And I said, get back. Yeah. Do not go down there. Let it burn, mm -hmm. get back to the engine. Um, and with those changing conditions, I realized I'm like, we can't stay here. We need, yeah. we need, so this is, we're losing, this is a losing battle. We need to leave. So, um, something that I've always heard people say and have never had to say it like myself was I told them cut and run. So we took our knives out, we cut the hose off, off the engine. We all dove in the engine. The cab was full of smoke from us just opening the doors. Yeah. Um, and we started trying to turn around. Well, unfortunately, like I said, this is where the junkyard comes into play. Um, I couldn't, we couldn't get the engine turned around. There was a car parked much too close to us. Plus, with the water we were flowing, was turning the driveway and or the, the kind of dirt road into mud. Yeah. So it was getting very stressful very mm. quickly. Um, but we kept calm. We were obviously amped up, but kept calm and. My engineer, again, he's, like I said, he's extremely young, but he's very tech, or, uh, mechanically savvy. He's a mechanic on his off time, dirt biker, all this stuff, and off-roader, snow mudder, and everything. And he goes, hey, I'm going to go see if I can either jumpstart that car or see if there's uh, keys in it. And luckily, the keys were in it, so wow. him and Brad were actually able to get it started. 
um, enough to be able to move it and back it up out of the way of the engine to where we could turn around. That's impressive. I mean, yeah. in that situation, to have the wherewithal to be like, I'm going to go, I can't turn the engine around, but I'm going to go hop in there. And I, <laughs> I mean, I mean, when you when you do that so many times throughout your career, it's just like you know you do like a twenty point turn and then you yeah. and then you go as opposed, to, but like being able to to make that decision to to hop in there and you know yeah. see if the keys are in there, that's that's impressive. Yeah, and and it was at the point too where you know we couldn't even Austin Powers it mm. turning this this engine around, and I have a really good turn radius on my engine, we couldn't do it. But what I'm saying, like and, it's like a, when you do something like yeah, so frequently, exactly. it's like it's what you go to without yeah. when in when, when the stress is Absolutely. on. Mm-hmm. But to like break from that and be like, I'm gonna go. That's I'm just I mean, gonna move that car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah and I was extremely impressed. So. At this point, too, um, while they're doing that, the trash piles were starting to light on fire. Mm. I could barely see anywhere around us. Um, When they got out is when I made the decision to call for help and notify them that our our, uh, incident commander, that we were in a bad spot. Um, And that was was super surreal because we've always, you know, everyone talks about it and kind of practices it and things like that and we should all be training on it and things like that but to actually have to get on the radio and say you know i see engine 84 uh information our access has been or our egress has been cut off we have fire surrounding us um we're unable to see and um we're having difficulties getting the engine turned around um was difficult but um the other thing I had to ask for, and I and I never thought I'd ever have to do this again, is I called for helicopters. I said, I need help. I need I need helicopters to come drop on us because I can't see and I don't know where the fire's at. Mm. I just knew it was all somewhere all around us. So I got on the air-to-ground channel and worked directly with uh, CAL FIRE's air attack, helico- or not helicopter, airplane, um, and worked with them, and he relayed the information to the helicopters that were coming in. I had a CAL FIRE helicopter, private uh, contract helicopter. Um, actually, I think it was two Cal Fire or in a Forest Service helicopter that were working with me. Um, and once they found me and started making drops, I just started coordinating with them. Hey, that was a good drop. Well, this is where we are because they couldn't see us at all through the smoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, we had our engine lights on, everything. They could mm-hmm. not see us. So they were solely going off of their instruments and um, my coordinates that I gave them. So. Um, I had my guys back in the rig at this point too and we were just kind of I told I even said it over the radio um, that we were taking refuge in the engine um, and once we got a couple of good drops in and the smoke started kind of lifting and clearing that's when I felt myself become much more I was very calm throughout the whole thing amped up but very calm and, and collected throughout the whole thing um, that's when I felt myself kind of able to take a breath. Um, so can you explain why you took refuge in the engine instead of deploying your burn shelter? Just if people aren't fire, why did you make that decision? I took refuge in the engine knowing that at least my con- I had control over my conditions in the engine for the most part. And my last resort is always to bail out mm-hmm. and use my fire shelter. And that's actually... My, in my mind, even though I couldn't see it, I told my guys, hey, if we need to deploy, 
or take refuge, it's that spot right there. We know where it's at. And I told them that too when we got out, when we initially arrived and got out of the engine. I actually did relay that to them. Um, but I knew right where I was going to go if we had to bail out of the engine yeah. and let it burn out. Um, because so, it, it was that was my safe spot or safe ish. So now you said now, you know, smoke is kind of dissipating a little bit. You know, now you take a deep breath. But in that moment that you said, even though you had a sense of calmness in the chaos, what was really going through your mind? I mean, you are in charge of that engine. So and that crew and that crew. So could you explain your thoughts or feelings at that moment? My thoughts and feelings at that moment were all focused on training and what I was trained to do. Um, I didn't know what my outcome was going to be. I didn't know the variables that could change instantly. Mm -hmm. Um, All I knew at that point was I needed to take care of my guys. I needed to take care of myself. And I needed to do everything in my power to mitigate the situation. I literally was solely focused on, you know, we always say, um, you fall back to your lowest level of training. And that's, luckily, I've trained, I like to think, and I know the people who have trained me like to think we've trained at a high level. Um, and that's what I did. I I was definitely, there was that that nervousness in the back of the mind of like, oh, you could get seriously hurt here. Mm-hmm. Or this could be it. Because, it, like I said, it changed that quickly that we couldn't. And, um kind of progressing with the story is once I started getting more drops smoke was lifting I was able to take that breath my guys were able to get out get back on some hose lines start fighting some fire around us cool everything around like I said we got turned around and I remember at one point too when we finally did get the engine turned around and I was still directing the helicopters in Ryan asked me he goes hey do you want me to leave do we want to go down the road and I looked ahead straight ahead of me in the engine um and I couldn't see anything. It was just it was just smoke, and some manzanita. I didn't see flames. I didn't see anything else. And I told him, and I told myself, I know what we have. this this is shitty right here. Mm-hmm. What we have here sucks. But I know what we have here. I don't know what's down there. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea what's down there. And on our way in, having seen the vegetation and the fuel typing that was down there, and then also I'll I'll kind of detract away from myself. Some one of the other engine crews, that engine crew, the local government that was down the road from us, was taking refuge in a home. Mm. They had bailed out of their engines. Their engines were getting hit by flames and were melting. Mm-hmm. They bailed out, um, and uh, a water tender and an engine crew bailed out and took refuge in a home. A dozer operator was having a resident taking refuge in his dozer. Wow. Um, and it was it was chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I heard that, and I went, "Those guys are having a real, a way rougher time than we are. Um, we're staying right here." Yeah. yeah. The fire passed. It had lifted. We all got out, gave each other a hug, high five, like, "Yeah, we made it!" You know. <laughs> we, um, didn't die. we didn't die. Yay! <laughs> and actually, at one point, I finally, well, I was, I got like. Third or four drops in from the helicopters. I finally remembered that my GoPro was in the uh, dash of the engine. I'm like, oh, I should probably record our death, so I might might be good to have that. Oh my! <laughs> Just that dark humor in my head, and um, so I recorded the end, kind of the end of it. And so we drove out, and on our way out, 
I was just absolutely shocked because it was literally moonscaped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All the heavy vegetation, manzanita, everything, it was ash and black twigs yeah. sticking out of the ground. And you keep saying manzanita. Manzanita, if you don't know, it's like... It's it's a tree that has a lot of oil in it. Mm-hmm. So when it burns, like it it burns. It's, it's very like, dense wood and very oily wood. And yeah. Very oily leaves. Yeah. Sorry for people who don't know. Uh, pine trees, oak trees, manzanita, dead and down underbrush, things like that, all gone. Mm. And I just literally told my guys, "Wow, I'm really glad we stayed." Yeah. yeah. And all of us were like, yeah, we knew exactly what we had. It was shitty, but we knew what we had. Um, and I'm really glad we stayed. And we made our way out. And <clears throat> um, one of the first people I came across after we parked and, and kind of staged and got waited for another assignment um, was my fire chief. He came up to me. <laughs> he comes up and gives me a big hug. He goes, don't you ever do that again. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he was like, and it's, it's funny because of, of all the things that we worry about as fire captains or as, as firemen is, um, God, I really hope I didn't sound like an idiot on the radio. Because <laughs> you know it's recorded. <laughs> it's, like, it's recorded. Yeah, yeah. And after all, and I, I even remember like thinking that to myself as I'm like, oh, I might get really hurt or die or I don't know what's going to happen to us up here. Because it was, it was at that point that it was, my training taught me enough to know that this is a very bad situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope I portrayed that. It wasn't like I was just pulling the trigger on things that right. were safe. Um, but I remember thinking that to myself too, like, God, I really hope I don't sound stupid doing all this. <laughs> all right. So now everyone's safe and, uh, you know, your chiefs, you know, congratulating you for not dying and things along those lines. But, uh, incidents like this can tend to have lasting effects on people. Um, did you find yourself maybe second guessing any of your decisions? Did you, did you find yourself like replaying everything that happened over and over again in your head afterwards? Does it affect you, your decision making now? Um, I did replay it in my head a lot. Um, I talked about it with my crew a lot, and there was a lot of you know after effects of it. But I wouldn't say they were negative for me. And, and I, what, like I said, I would attribute that a lot to is I know I made the right decisions. Um, without a shadow of a doubt, I made the right decisions. I trusted my training. I trusted my gut. I trusted my instinct. Um, and the outcome came out to be what I wanted it to be. Emotionally, what I felt from it was um, I was so stoked that I made those right decisions Yes, because I know it would have affected me way more negatively if I felt like I could have gone back and, Oh, could I have done this differently? Could I have done this? If we had left at this time. And that's the other thing is there was no real trigger point. There was no trigger point of, Hey, now's your time to leave Kelly. And now's your time to get your engine crew and leave. There wasn't that came and went so fast. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm so glad I didn't because I saw the devastation and the destruction that yeah. happened that we could have been in the middle of. Um, and that affected me more emotionally of, man, if I had made that decision, yeah. this would have been a way worse outcome. And like well, said, th- there was a trigger moment, but yeah. the, the fact of the matter that the trigger moment came and went and passed <laughs> so quickly, right? Yeah, yeah you couldn't, I couldn't even make the decision. Yeah. And, and honestly, the trigger moment was we shouldn't have even been there. Yeah. 
Uh, that's honestly what it was. And kind of answer your question too of, has it affected my decision-making now? Has it affected how I do things now? Um, yeah, but in a positive way because I'm that much more confident and not overly confident, not like arrogantly confident that, oh yeah, I, I you know, I kicked ass and I, I, you know, saved my whole crew and did all, I don't, I don't view it in that way whatsoever. I view it as being very thankful for the training that I've had. It added so much more to me as a person of, and me as a fire captain and me as a professional in EMS and fire and in, you know, public service. Um, it gave me so much more to work with and gave me that confidence that I needed at the time to continue doing what I do. Do you think it changed your view on your um, career choice? No. It, it strengthened my view of my career choice. Uh, and it did, and, and again, it did humble me a lot. It majorly humbled me. Well, fire will do that to you. Yeah. I mean, and, and like I said, in, in a very, very positive way, yeah. it humbled me to the point of, like I said, man, I'm glad I know what I'm doing and I'm glad I made the decisions I made. And honestly, too, um, I've been talking a lot about me. Um, I'm extremely proud of the guys that I had that day. And I'm very thankful for the two that I had that day for as young as they are. Um, they were probably two of the best choices I could have had that day. Um, and they are, and again, I'm not, I, I don't, I want to detract away from me because they are the reason that I made the decisions I made and they took a lot of actions to like I said, like Ryan moving and Brad moving that car. Yeah. Um, jumping out of the engine when they got finally got a point where we could get out there and breathe a little bit and putting out fires around us while helicopters were dropping around us. All I did was sit in the cab and kind of orchestrate things. But, you know, I mean, Zeph and yourself obviously are engine bosses and, you know, you are in charge of other people's lives mm -hmm. and safety. To have that type of responsibility, are you, did that change you at all? Or are you happy that you are still in control and you're still the leader? Because that's, um, that's a lot of pressure. That's a you lot. You know, because it, what it comes down to ultimately when you're sitting in that role is... Mm -hmm. It's like I, you know, whatever happens to me, I gotta make sure my my crew comes home. So yeah, no, it definitely strengthened my um, resolve and the career, like you said, the career choice I made, mm -hmm. and it strengthened where I'm at as an engine captain and as that person in charge. And like I was kind of telling you earlier, Bree, I had uh, a fire yesterday. Um, where I literally pulled up and was told there is a victim trapped on the second floor. And all I had to do was tell my guys to go to work. And that's it. And we made it happen. Sure. I have a different coping. I have a different way of coping with things than a lot of people I feel like. Well, yeah. what do you think is positive about your coping mechanisms that's different than you think the stereotype of kind of the field? I talk about it. Yeah. I open up. I'm very emotional. I've always kind of been that way in my life. I'm very emotionally <laughs> open. <laughs> I pretend to be like kind of a hard ass and hardcore guy at work and stuff for the new guys. And, and I'm, but I'm also extremely passionate about my job yeah. and my career. Um, and I am not afraid to sit with anybody, my new guys, my you know senior guys, um, and talk about our feelings. Yeah. <laughs> the F word, the feeling. I'm not afraid to do it. And it's cause it, I know it helps and it's always helped me. And I'm, uh, 
Bree knows this because we talk at class and stuff like that. I'm a talker. I like to talk to people and get to know them um, and help people with those experiences. I'm not only a rescuer by profession, I'm a rescuer just by nature. Um, well, that's how it's always been explained. Line. I know, right? It's, it's, how, it's how it's been explained to me. Um, and this is, again, this is not me describing myself. This is how others have described me. Um, sometimes I drown with the person, but you know, <laughs> I've kind of learned how not to do that, too. Well, you know, I think that's a great, great summary of the story. And we are going to put you back on the hot seat. Yeah, out of the out of the fire and into the new one. Right here. All right, here we I'm go. looking forward to this. <laughs> Rapid fire. Uh, one word, one phrase answer is kind of what we're looking for here. Um, and uh, five questions. And uh, here we go. Our first question. What is the go-to meal when you're at the firehouse? Tri-tip. Mm. Yeah. Tri-tip and what? What are the sides? Asparagus. Maybe roasted broccoli. Uh, sweet potatoes. Ooh. Okay. Uh, My senior got really sick of, of tri-tip for a while when I was on keto. Said we had a, there's no uh, such thing as being sick of tri-tip. <laughs> Is, ask, ask my other engineer, Dylan, and mm. he'll tell you that that's not a thing. Un-American. <laughs> uh, question number two. How much money to shave that mustache? Oh, there's not enough money in that. <laughs> you want to do it for a million dollars. I don't know. It's kind of become part of it. It grows back. Kelly, seriously? How much do you have on you? Oh. <laughs> Let's do it live. We'll do a fundraiser. Uh, Project Made a fundraiser. No, Maddie will kill me. She loves it. I think she likes a million dollars. That mustache will grow back. All right. Really? So you're not going to put a value? I can't. It's, it's, it's a part of you now. It is. Yeah, it's, it's been like, like four years. How much to cut off my four arm? Years. Yeah. Yeah. Four okay. years. Okay. That's a long time. I'm not that <laughs> All right. Question number three. Uh, what is that one smell that you will never forget? Mm-hmm. Uh, in this we industry, all we all have one. Mm-hmm. We all have it's one. It's probably the same as mine. Lower GI. Right? That's what I said. Uh, we yeah, were talking about lower yeah. GI bleeds. Lower and upper GI bleeds. Yeah. Those yeah. Are, those when I when I walk in yeah. the front door, that's you know, you know, I can tolerate it. Yeah, but you know, it's not one of those things that. You don't need destroys it. me, but I know it. Yeah, yeah you don't you have know. you don't have to see it. You're just like, yep, yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Get it. Not, extra blankets. It's, bring not, them in. Not, it's not dead bodies. It's not dead bleeds. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of EMS is the same way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Question number four. Uh, you have the power to change one thing in our profession. What would it be? <laughs> uh uh-uh. oh. Dangerous arrogance. Yeah. All right. That's real. That kills people. It can be. Cannot stand it. All right. Question number five. One word to describe the fire service. Can I use three? Best job ever. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. All right. Well, this is Project Mayday. We want to say thank you, Kelly Craig, for sharing your story. We really appreciate you coming on and uh, call out. Call out.